Hello, everyone. Welcome to Malcast episode three. Um, welcome back to our introduction series where Patrick and I introduce ourselves, talk about who we are, and then we'll talk about the uh, the channel as a whole. So, Patrick, welcome back on this fine, bright, sunny Midwestern day. Yeah. I've got a friend. Oh, that's so adorable. So he's biting my hands right now, so... Regular, regular contributor here. Yes. So, all right, Patrick, what do you want to talk about today? Economics, right? Uh, well, <laughs> you told you called me and said, "We're get on the phone. We're talking about economics." So, I guess that's what we're talking about here. I don't know why you're asking me what we're talking about. That that is our normal. The course of our normal conversation is, I call Patrick and I'm like, "All right, so get on. We're going to talk about this." He's like, uh, "All right, fine. I guess you know." Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't have, like, super strong opinions relating to economics and more... I Like, my here's my view, and it can be summed up fairly, fairly succinctly. I think capitalism is the least worst option available. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all, and I think if you worship capitalism, you're going to have a lot of problems. Because capitalism itself doesn't instill values. You need to have a value set undergirding the capitalism for it to actually be what it could be. Yeah, I agree. So... For those of oh, you, good. for those of you who uh, have watched more than one episode, you know that I'm a CPA, so I have a little bit more of a background in economics um, than Patrick, whereas he's more, you know, traditional policy focused. So I have a lot of thoughts about um, the economy. I am obviously a capitalist. I do. We've seen time and time again how command economies have failed outright, both in the twenty in the twentieth century and the twenty first century with countries like Venezuela. So I do believe that capitalism is the best possible um, system. It's kind of like Winston Churchill said that democracy is the worst form of governments except for all the others. Well, capitalism is the, is the worst economic system except for all the others because yeah. it allows the freedom of choice, freedom to innovate, and realistically the collective market is better at assigning resources than a committee or a single individual ever could be um granted free like complete anarcho-capitalism would result in something akin to cyberpunk 2077 so you, yes right. well any extreme any extreme on the uh political slash economic spectrum leads to tyranny because in a in an in an anarcho-capitalist state, where the government has basically no control or basically doesn't exist, is uh, is something like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, where the corporations, because they have all the money, are able to basically dictate the course of everyone's lives. There's a uh, there's a essence of freedom, like it look it, it appears to be completely free. On, on its surface, because there's no government regulations saying what you can and can't do. Um, companies pretend to not have those regulations, but at the end of the day, they're willing to use their wealth and their influence to clobber anyone who disagrees with them into the ground. Yes. Um, on the flip side, in a command economy, which we've seen numerous times, both in um, Russia in the last century and China in this one, if you disagree with... Uh, with their form of government, with what the government says, they, they're the ones who are 
who will clobber you. And a communist or socialist economic system tend to lead to more authority because those systems rely on on a central authority dictating where resources go. Yeah. Um, so they're much more ripe for abuse than a capitalist system is. Capitalist system needs to be taken to its extreme to, to an extreme to become authoritarian, whereas a communist or socialist economic system is inherently authoritarian. Yes. Well, I mean, uh, question, James: Are yeah. we currently in a capitalist society, or are we in a corporatist society, as some people have described? Um, consumerist. Okay, what does that mean? So, the, the thing about the free market is the theory is that people vote with their dollar. If you don't like a product, you don't buy it. If you don't like a service, you don't use it. If you don't like a com- what a company's doing, if you don't like the fact that Nike is using slave labor in China, you don't buy Nikes. However, the drive for ever lower prices, price, price realistically determines more than a person's morals so like are you willing to spend triple the cost for a can opener because it's made in america then you whereas you can buy one from china for three bucks yeah so most people are going to choose the cheaper option which then enables these larger corporations which can use their influence to drive prices down and leads to what would be considered a corporatist society i prefer to look at it and say it's a consumerist society because at the end of the day a free market is just that you are empowering these companies with your dollar and it's up to you as the consumer to make the change because the the companies they're gonna they're gonna chase their their bottom line that's all they care about so it's up to the consumer to change the economy not it's not on the companies to do so Sure, uh, and that's and that would be what my my issue would be with um, with capitalism as a as a like in its pure form, right? I am of the opinion that there is a place for government, and I think a lot of people who promote like libertarians, for example, promote pure capitalism, ignore the place for politics, ignore the place for culture, ignore the place for society really and they're only looking at the bottom dollar which it's important but i don't think it's the end all be all i think that there's there's a significant place for stuff that has basically nothing to do with the economy and and at times that's going to outweigh the economy itself like for example national defense maybe we might want to pursue some form of tariff to shut down a power like china to protect our borders or to protect our IP or to protect our citizens or something like that. Well, and that's not capitalistic. No, but here's the thing. So you can't look, <clears throat> I'm dying that I've talked too much. Well, stop talking then. <laughs> and stop dying. So um, you, ha- you can't look at the economy in, in, or national, national defense or any policy in a vacuum. So yes, like obviously there is a, if, if, we were looking at the United States. No other country existed. It was just the United States. Then you could start looking at things in the economy and say, okay, we want to focus on just economic policy. We don't have to worry about any other country. We don't have to worry about competing. But that's not how the world works. So, yeah. yes, there's a role for government in regulating labor. There's a role in government for um, 
regulating commerce. And yes, things like the national defense should come before most aspects of the economy. Yes. Um, obviously, well, it, you can't completely override. I got a, a button in my face. That's fine. But you got to keep your tail down. You can't completely override a the economy in the name of national defense because if the economy crumbles, there is no way to supply the national for the national defense. Of course, and and, and I mean that works with the culture too. And and this is what's going on right now with like the current culture wars. Is is you know you have a section of, for example, the Republican Party that's focused on oh we need to cut taxes when you do that. It's like okay. I understand that, uh, you know, cutting taxes is great. I like cutting taxes just as much as the next guy, but we can cut taxes as much as we want. But if you lose the culture, they're just going to come around and take the take the money that you had saved anyway from cutting taxes. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, you know, and actually, that's a good point. So talk about cutting taxes. You listen to a lot of the debate today, and one major criticism is that of modern monetary theory. Um, the issue is. So people complain about modern monetary theory. You know, if the economy is doing poorly, the government should spend, 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 spend. The issue is that no country on earth is properly enacting modern monetary theory. Look at the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2018. So, you know, I think that grand scheme, it's a good, good act, Um, good piece of legislation. But the timing was terrible. The economy was booming. And the last thing that we needed in 2018 was a tax cut. Now, did we need to figure out something with corporate taxation? We had the highest corporate taxation in the industrialized world. Companies were fleeing from the United States, trying to hide their money overseas. Did we need a way to bring that money back? Yes. But was tax cut was it a tax cut that deep the way to do it? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, you could talk about repatriating the dollars instead, but I digress. Now we look at what Biden wants to do. Massive tax increases during a recession. They're doing the, and, and not to mention, this entire time, every single president, Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden, all spending, spending, spending when they shouldn't be. Or, you know, Obama should have been spending and Biden should be spending. Trump and Bush shouldn't. The issue is that well, why, should, why should Trump and Bush not? Is that just because they're in a boom? Yes, because they're in a boom. So when you're in a boom, you need to let the free yeah, market take over. Republican gets an office, boom happens. Democrat gets an office, recession happens. Pretty typical stuff. Yeah. So not spending. Worse than a recession. You yeah. Because I'm gonna get people like, oh, well, no, the recession actually happened. Well, Bush was doing it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. And it went on for like several years longer than it had to because Obama's stupid. Stupid policies, and we should be in a boom after the artificial recession that was caused by the stupid COVID lockdowns. But Biden's like, "Oh no, no, we don't want it. We don't want that. We're gonna, we're gonna not only inflate our currency, but we're also gonna stagnate the economy at the same time." Well, because we're to be clear, to be clear, we are technically in a boom. The issue is that we are in a demand. So a demand pull boom is better than a supply push. Demand pull, meaning that the boom is driven by the consumer wanting more versus a supply push where the, you know, companies are pushing out more that which would deflate the currency, um, which has its own set of problems, obviously. But the issue that we're in right now is the inflation and the complete destruction of the supply chain. So, yes, we are in an artificial recession right now caused by poor policy. Um 
And the, for example, the increased unemployment, preventing people from going back to work, which is preventing the repairing of the supply chains, which is driving up prices, which combined with massive government spending is causing inflation. Um, to be fair, in a recession, you should spend. The yes. issue with this recession is that since it's artificial, people did not lose faith in the economy. In 2008, we saw people hoard money because they're like, oh my God, I might lose my job. I might lose all my money. I can't spend it. I have to, I have to hold on to it. So the government needed to step in, spend a ton of money to get the economy rolling again, prevent job loss, and convince people, hey, I can spend my money because I'm not afraid, terribly afraid of losing my job, of losing my savings. Um, that's not what happened here. People still have faith in the economy. There's more people, there's more money to spend than things to buy right now. Yeah, and that's the problem. That's where there's not enough things to buy, and we're just giving money to people that don't need it. Savings were up in 2020, not down. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we giving people money when they already have way too much? Like, that's, we're over, we're not even overheating, we're inflating, and then because the supply chain is still, like, knocked out, we can't we can't replace things and my cat's currently attacking the microphone but we can't replace things so the economy is stagnating while we're inflating the currency it's like if we just wanted to be like okay how can we make the economy as bad as possible let's do that that is basically what's going on for the past four months yeah i agree and um realistically and it, it so it goes back to what i was saying earlier uh, i'm gonna go back to what i was saying earlier and that it's not Modern monetary policy would dictate that you would spend in, more in a recession. And that's what Democrats tend to like to do. And Republicans do the same thing to a slightly lesser extent. Because spending more money, no matter what the base says, is popular. Because oh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very it's, difficult it's, to, to you spend it on. Yes. But you it's know. very difficult to go to people and say, all right, we're going to cut back on welfare. We're going to cut back on infrastructure spending, if you can do that in the United States. Uh, we're going to cut back on education, on the military, because that that's not popular. You're not going to get elected if you're going to tell people you're going to cut back on what you're giving them. But that's what they should have been doing. That's what Trump should have been doing in, in during his term, was... Yeah. Technically, he should have increased taxes. He should increase taxes and spend less to pay off the debt. Because that would prevent the economy from overheating. Um, which, I, it was, it, technically in 2019, it was in danger of overheating with how quickly it was growing. Um, Can you explain overheating? Yes. So, overheating is where an economy... The, it's Technically, we're overheating right now. Is, this is a form of overheating where there's more money to spend, more demand than there is possibly supply, and that's going to cause prices to increase, um, wages would increase in a, at a slower pace, and that's the, that's the big danger, where the prices increase faster than wages. In 2019, you saw prices increasing fairly significantly, but you saw wages start to increase for the first time in decades faster than prices were increasing. Now we're yeah. seeing the opposite. Prices are increasing significantly faster than wages are. Um, and so we are officially overheating. But it, it's different. It's not the traditional, what you would consider traditionally overheating because the factors leading to it are different. So, so my understanding of 
you know, we have different parties coming into power and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily what they do that drives a lot of this, the the economy and in, in, in the sense of when a certain president comes into power, people expect certain things based on their, their party. So a Republican comes to power, people are like, oh, so the economy is probably going to be doing really well and it's going to be, be fairly safe because it's Republican. So I'm going to invest a bunch. And that itself actually drives the economy to do really well. You know, where it's like positive feedback loop is essentially created by the expectation that it's going to do well. So then everyone has the same idea. They go and invest. Then they see, oh, yeah, of course, the economy is doing really well. But well, the president hasn't done anything. It's just all of you guys were thinking that he was going to do a good job. So you went ahead and invested. Similarly with the Democrat, everyone pulls their money out of stocks and puts it in crypto or whatever. You know, because they think that, oh, well, he's going to attack businesses, which he's probably going to do based on the latest releases. So, you know, it's a good bet, but I think that it's more so driven a lot of the times, especially early on, by the initial perception of the president or whoever's in control of their political party. So, yeah, we actually saw this back in 2016, where days, just a couple days after the election, when Trump was declared the winner, stock market hitting hitting highs again and again and again and it happened throughout his entire presidency this happened as well in 2020 like when it looked like the republicans are going to keep the senate the stock market shot up Mm -hmm. and then when they lost it went you know so because they were like well we're going to tax out the wazoo and all of our jobs are going to get destroyed because democrats are control so and again this is a unique situation because the stock market is still hitting still consistently hitting highs but it's not necessarily because they have faith in Biden or Biden's economy. It's because people have all this money and nothing else to spend it on. Yeah. So, so they're all just dumping into stocks. Yeah. This is what you see with the uh, dramatic rise of Bitcoin, Dogecoin, and Ethereum in the last few months. People are like, I've got all this money. I don't know what to put it into. I'm afraid of inflation. Um, so I don't want to leave it in savings. But I can't afford something like a house. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pour all my money into this two cent coin. That's a joke. And I'm going to drive it up to 70 cents. Yeah. And it's going to, now all crypto is fluctuating based on different expectations. And we had the issue of whales, um, which are people who own disproportionately large amounts, percentages of the total supply of these coins, uh, trying to sell off and capitalize on the boom and whatnot. But, um, the, the rise in the stock market and the rise in crypto is driven by fear, more or less, right now. Um, fear of inflation. The fear of inflation is outweighing the fear that the economy is going to do poorly. Because at the end of the day, the economy is coming back. The f- I mean, hopefully. <laughs> well, the, the, the numbers don't lie. We the, the supply the, the demand is outpacing supply, which is what's causing the problem. But that does tell us that there's not... A confidence issue which means the economy is going to come back companies are eventually going to be able to fulfill the Buddy. fulfill the demand the question is how much is our currency going to inflate before we we reach equilibrium again and yeah, and, that's, and that's what scares that, me that is the concern and as well as like i mean a lot of businesses are going to be affected by the fact that the supply chain is shut down they can't get raw materials you know all right just sit down please thank you well, <clears throat> so everyone's talking about the lumber, lumber prices, right? Yeah. So I work for a newspaper. I see how paper prices are influenced. Okay. Mills don't, the issue is that mills don't have the people. 
Um, yeah, because nobody wants to go work. Yes, but not only like, that. Twelve. There's twelve thousand people looking for work and seven or no, twelve million people looking for work and seven million jobs that are open right now. You know, and and but the thing is, uh, the way that it was explained to me, at least, was well, I mean, you're getting sixteen bucks an hour for unemployment or fifteen bucks an hour or whatever it is mm-hmm. for unemployment, and that is now as opposed to unemployment being zero dollars an hour and you're not making anything you're making 16 an hour to not do anything so if if i want to hire you james and you're on unemployment like okay i'll pay you 17 an hour to flip burgers that's a lot of money to flip burgers okay it is not hard to and i'm sick and tired of people saying oh well we should pay them a living wage dude you can never get my order right so like no i don't think you should get a living wage you're also most likely 16 to 18 well uh, uh living wage- half the people that make minimum wage are under the age of 25 or something like that so no living wage is also a um very subjective metric of course of course a living wage in new york is completely different than a living wage in the middle of uh arkansas well and let's I, i'd also like to point out that the federal poverty line is something like 1929,000. So it, it it's it's low it's a little bit lower than that i think it's uh low twenty thousands a year yeah but look at the look at the uh so south korea a very similar country uh to us in terms of prices i'm getting a little feedback on your end by the way that's probably because my cat is currently attacking um my microphone oh let me, let me go ahead and plug in my headset okay um but look at south korea their cost of living is very similar to the United States. Um, I'm going to wait until... No worries. Okay, we're good. Okay, cool. I, I don't like hearing my own voice. No, it's fine. I've just got this guy now here, and and then obviously I've got the other guy over here. <laughs> so they both want to be on Daddy's desk. Um, but the, but the, uh, average income, the average income is lower. So, here, actually, you talk about something. I'm going to look up these actual numbers, so I'm not talking out of my ass. You talk about something. Okay. Well, my, my point is that, effectively, if you want to flip burgers for $17 an hour, which is way too much, should be half that, if that. Uh, I think because that's the money itself is not a, a concrete thing. It is a representation of value. It's a value of how your job stacks up against other jobs, other positions. When I'm working in the warehouse, I made eleven, uh, ten, and then eleven dollars an hour, uh, based on my promotion. That is significantly harder, on just your body and also just time-wise than working at a coffee shop. I'm just gonna let you know, I've done both. Uh, well, I've I worked in entertainments, functionally the same thing. And if anyone wants to fight me about it, go work over in entertainment for nine months and let me know what you think. Um, so significantly harder than that. Or you're just standing around all day handing out tickets or handing out drinks or whatever it is that you're whatever position you're occupying. Regardless, point that I'm making is that if if unemployment is 16 bucks an hour, I'm offering you 17, which is again way too high. You're gonna say, okay, I'm effectively taking one dollar an hour more to work 40 hours a week. Your my pay is not 17. My pay is one. That's how much you're making. It's not 17, like, which is again for that position and people are getting paid to go into interviews because nobody wants to work because it doesn't make any sense why would i be- take a pay of one dollar an hour to go flip burgers that's way too low 
as opposed to being way too high. And that's what it is at the end of the day. Right. And that's why the economy, in my opinion, is doing so poorly is unemployment benefits way too high, number one. Number two, way too long. Unemployment should not last any longer than three months, in my opinion. If you cannot find a job, any job in three months, you are not looking. I'm just going to let you know. There are, you can go on governmentjobs.com, sorry, and make an account and you will find a part-time job to be a lifeguard right away. Part-time job to be a police officer or something right away. And that these aren't necessarily useless positions. These are positions that need to be filled, but nobody wants to do them because they all think, oh, well, I'm too good for it. you know, or, oh, well, that's below me. That's beneath me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know what? Beneath you is making $0 an hour, I'm sure. So maybe you should get your ass on that. Well, no, and, and what you're at the end of the day, whatever, whatever actions you incentivize, yes. that's what's going to happen. So whatever you pay for is going what you're going to get more of. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so what you, we see now is a lot of red states, Iowa, Texas, Florida, Louisiana, uh, the Dakotas, the Carolinas, they're all ending as of as of the time of recording this. They're all, they've all ended the uh, bonus unemployment. They've Which ended extended unemployment. So what you're going to see is these, econ these red state economies, which were already doing better than blue state economies because they never shut down fully, yeah. are going to bounce back even faster because now people are going to be incentivized to actually fill those open jobs. Yeah. On top of the fact that companies are fleeing the blue states because of high taxation, you're going to have... And, and lockdowns and other restrictions of yes. that same same milk. You're going to have two separate economies. I mean, there were, were already really two separate economies, but before it was blue state urban with all the big companies and red state uh, rural with all the, you know, the farmland and whatnot and some of the larger uh, construction and manufacturing companies. Yeah. But now you're going to have the red state economies, which are driven off of manufacturing um Arm intellectual property yeah <laughs> all three all three and then the blue state economies are going to be 100 almost 100 percent service driven yeah and so, that service a service economy is the, so a lot of economists argue that transitioning from a uh, rural to an industrial to a manufacturing economy is how you mark define an industrialized nation and how you define a modern first world nation is the transition from an industrial economy to a service economy. The issue is that a service economy is not sustainable. What the time that we're living in today is an anomaly. We are in the modern Pax Romana, realistically. Pax Americana. Yeah. Um, well, I don't, I don't say Pax Americana because it's extended realistically to the entire first world, including, including Europe and most of Asia. Well, I say Pax Americana because we had Pax Britannica when Britain was in control, you know. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. But, um, but we have I know you're upset with Rome, but I'm just going to let you know, Rome is not the best country that has ever existed. That would be America. It'd be, it's a very close second, however. It's a very close second because Britain doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah. What was I saying? Oh, uh, you're talking about... Uh, uh, transitioning economies oh right yeah so this is an anomaly so throughout history we've seen short periods of time usually a, just a couple of decades without major conflict however during the Pax romana we saw like a little over 100 years where there was no major conflict that really threatened the wealth and prestige of rome 
We've yeah. now gone 80 years without a major conflict that has threatened to destroy the world. Yes, we have. Well, the- if you subscribe to Strauss Howe theory, we're about to have one. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I think the fourth turning is like it just based on their book, their argument. It seems very convincing. The fourth turning is interesting. I don't like. I think the logic behind the fourth turning is correct, but I do not like. Um, assigning timelines to things because we're just sitting here basically trying to play Nostradamus at that point. Um, yes. yet... he, had great, he had great recipes for jelly, though. <laughs> so, and my point is that there's always the threat of this peaceful time ending. Um, as long as we're not just alone in the universe and unified under one government, there's always a threat that, you know, in the late 20th century, it was, it was Russia. Now it's China. That something is going to cause our current structure to collapse or yeah. to possibly be threatened to collapse. And if you're, you are a 100% service economy, you are, it, it's a glass cannon. You're going to make tons of money in peacetime because people have tons of extra money to, to spend on services. It's not hard to provide services. But if you're threatened by someone with a massive industrial base like China, you will crumble. And yeah, yeah. I don't know how I got how I got on that. I'm just talking about stuff. Uh, we were we were just. I mean, it's it's just kind of what we think about. But I, I think we should round out uh, exactly our thoughts. Basically, to sum up mine, I'm not super concerned with economics. Generally speaking, I am significantly more concerned with with the, the political sphere and the cultural sphere. And that just kind of thing comes from my background. Um, so at the end of the day, I would describe myself as a capitalist, but I don't, I'm not afraid of going against capitalistic ideals, such as like inst- instilling tariffs or uh, raising taxes or restricting certain businesses from conducting themselves in a certain way. If that is a means of, preserving American culture or to keep a functional uh, political system at the end of the day. And I don't think that we should let corporations just run wild, unrestricted to do whatever they want, not because I necessarily super care about the environment, which I, I do. I've, I, I like the environment. I like nature. But more so that once the corporation is able to outweigh the government, they are de facto the government. And I think that, so for example, with like Twitter, for example, banning people, I have a feeling that the First Amendment should apply to them because they are effectively the de facto public space now. And, you know, there's a history of uh, private-owned towns that have existed physically in the United States, and they are subject to every single one of those government restrictions as well. So I think that since Twitter is de facto a public space, de facto a government-owned cyber town, I guess, if you want to say. Or not a government-owned, a corporation-owned cyber town. Same thing with Facebook, same thing with YouTube. They should be under the regulations that the the government is because, and I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, the First Amendment should only apply to the government because it's what it's written for. Okay. My question is then for you, what is the purpose of the First Amendment? Is that to protect the free speech of corporations, the free speech of the government, or the free speech of the people? And if the free speech of the people is infringed by the government, then yeah, absolutely, it should apply to the government. And if the free speech of the people, more broadly, is being restricted by 
two corporations or three corporations, then I think it should probably apply to those three corporations to to preserve the actual reason why we have the First Amendment. Well, and an interesting thing to point out about two interesting things to point out about the First Amendment. One is that the First Amendment exists not only to restrict the government, which is ten, yes. tends to be how the argument from the left comes when it comes to, or how it's formulated when it comes to these uh, big corporations. In that, well, it doesn't apply to the corporations because they're not government. The First Amendment applies only to the government's ability to make laws. And if you're taking a very literal reading of it, then yes. But if you're looking at how... Um, it was discussed at the time of our country's founding. It was really meant to hold the government accountable for protecting the right. So, yes, it restricts the government from violating the right, but it also makes the government responsible for ensuring that exactly. Exactly. the right is not infringed upon by other entities. The issue that you run into is actually Citizens v. United. So that case is being cited left and right because what it did was guaranteed First Amendment rights to corporations as individuals. Individual... Sure. The... And, and if we want to get like deep into the thicket of here, I mean, I'm sure we, we can. I don't know if that's necessarily the purview of what we want to talk about. No, it's not. But, but that, now, but, since you brought it up... I, I understand. And, and But I'm, my, what I'm illustrating is exactly how far I'll go to restrict the economy, which is not something a capitalist necessarily wants to do in a pure capitalistic form. So that's just that was just an example. I mean, we can get into the thicket of that in, in some other video, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and but I want to cut you off before you get too deep into. It. Well, no. the argument from the defense in this case was. Well, okay. So. This this leads to like my my official what am I? So I would consider myself a uh, moral capitalist. That being okay. that companies, due to their size, have a moral imperative to do good for society. And when they do not do good for, when they harm society, that's when government needs to step in to regulate things. If they're exploiting child labor, if they're exploiting slave labor. Um, so like every major American corporation right now should be basically stop interacting with China in all ways, shapes and forms, because they're doing both of those things that you just mentioned. Yes. Or if they're, if the company is harming the national defense, um, you do have to be careful with some of these more vague uh, restrictions like violating violating national security. What is national security? You know, depending on the person in, in sitting in the presence at the president's uh, desk, that definition changes, and you have to be really careful with that sort of thing. But yeah. there are things that we can all agree on that national that that China, for example, poses a national security threat. So businesses probably shouldn't be doing extensive business with China. Yeah, um, it's like doing business with uh, you know the with Britain during eighteen twelve. Yeah, exactly. It'd be functionally the same thing. Exactly. Or, you know, if, you know, um, there, so there's unsafe working conditions or false marketing. These are areas, again, where government can step in and regulate it. Uh, price gouging is another one. But at the end of the day, the free market should determine how the economy functions. Um, and the government, the government interfering should be the exception, not the rule. That's, that's my opinion. Oh, that's but, fair with me. Anyway, that'll wrap us up for a pretty long intro episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, please, if you like this episode, like, subscribe, and especially share this with people that you know that might also like our content. We do not have a marketing budget, so um, sharing our content is honestly the best thing you could do to help us out right now. Um, also, follow us on Minds 
and Gab, and, Gab. and check and, out us out on my on uh, Twitch. My bad. Uh, have a good night, and I will see you guys later.